0: Uh, talking about uh, what Christianity is all about, we've been using uh, our own version of the language uh, here of uh, the kind of people we wanted to be, of being willing to love anyone and everyone, uh, to do anything and everything. Uh, we'll talk later about going anywhere and everywhere to share that love. Uh, we've been talking about it in in some sort of modern terminology, sort of goes along with our mission statement. Our our, our, our vision statement here at the church, but what we've been talking about is the basics of Christianity, of, of what, what it is that God expects from us. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about what love really is. Um, if, you, if you were to go to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, many of you remember that from your wedding. Uh, instead of trying to do it by memory, I'll screw it up, so I'm going to look it up. I can get about halfway. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's not the kind of love we really experience every day in in our world, but that's what true love is. That's the kind of love that God has for us. It's the kind of love that He expects us to share with others and to have with Him, and those are the things we've been talking about, that a true love doesn't have barriers. We don't allow things to get in the way. We don't don't allow obstacles to block that love. Of course, they come up in a relationship. If you've been married uh, for more than six hours... You've had an obstacle. If you've had a a friend, if you're in middle school, high school, you've had a friend. You've you've had obstacles. There's always collisions, but true love does not allow those things to get in the way. There's no barriers with true love. There's no excuses with true love. In fact, you find excuses to look past the shortcomings. You you find you find excuses to 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 seek out the best in the other person, and then I, I went blank on what the third one. Was. It was actually a second one we did, but in true love, thank you, true love. The voice from heaven, came. true love doesn't have fear. It it's not afraid. It doesn't mean we're not. Worried. It's not. It, it doesn't mean that we're inhuman. The story we remember tonight, Jesus was not looking forward to this event. It it scared him to death. It was was overwhelming to him. In fact, the scriptures tell us that after he had the the meal with his friends at the upper room, that he went to the garden and asked two of his his closer disciples to come pray with him. And And he fell down on his face and just Basically beg God if there is any way that we can do any other way we can do this. It's not that we're inhuman. It's not that we don't have feelings. It's not that we don't get overwhelmed by life's life circumstances. But if you stop the story there, you miss. That just reminds us that Jesus, even though He came from God, was 100 percent human, that, that He deals with the same things we do. And with, even in the midst of the fear, even in the midst of knowing what was coming, he said, but I don't want to do what my will is. I want to do what your will is. True love doesn't have fear. It has faith. And because Jesus' relationship with, with God, because of the closeness of that relationship, because he had, he had lived it over and over and over again, he knew that he could have faith in his father. He knew that even even to the point of death, even in the pain and the suffering, that God was going to be with him. We're going to end this little series tonight by talking about true love doesn't have limits. There are no limits to God's love. There are no limits to where he will go, to what he will do, in order to demonstrate how important we are to him. He, he does not draw a line and say, I'm not going that far. He doesn't, he doesn't draw a circle around us and say, well, I can't go to that one because of what they did. There are no limits to what God's love will do. And therefore, we hope to be a people that has no limits in our love for him and our love for others. Throughout this series, I've been uh, using, I've been referring to a passage that uh, Jesus talked about, uh, about what it meant to be a disciple, of saying, uh, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. We're going to read that in just a, a, that's from Matthew. We're going to read a passage from Luke, a little different wording, a little different context. And we're going to talk about what does it mean? What what are the no limits that he expects from us? Because if if we're honest with ourselves, this is our greatest fear about Christianity. How far does he really expect me to go? What does he really want from me? When he says, you must give up everything to be my disciple, he's just speaking metaphorically, isn't he? We hope please? How much does he expect from us? Am I going to be a Jesus freak? Am I going to be a fanatic if I, if I go too far? Is he going to take advantage of me if I go too far? Am I, do I need to allow him access to everything, or can I hold some of my life to myself? What we're going to talk about this, this evening is that what he wants is everything, but what he gave was everything. So we're going to look at a passage in uh, Luke chapter 14. These are some of the hardest. This is a section in Luke that's, uh, that are known as the hard sayings of Jesus. When I went to seminary, we had to do a paper on several of these, uh, trying to explain these passages that just don't go down well. Uh, they just, they rub us wrong. It, it, they, and, uh, and I can't tell you I have a perfect understanding of them. Um, but this is one of those passages that just, when, you're, when you hear the words, when you see the words, it's going to make you go, he doesn't really mean that, does he? And we're going to talk about that a little bit. So Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 25. A large large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around to them and said, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple." But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Obviously, he hasn't been around a lot of Methodist churches. But otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you, and they would say, there's a person that started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers mar- marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still afar away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavor as salt is good neither for soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening. Thanks be to God. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else in comparison. Your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, your kids... Your name. Man, that one doesn't... In fact, when the people heard that, they, they came after him and said, wait a minute, we at least know the Ten Commandments, and Ten Commandments say, honor your mother and father. Now you're telling us we have to hate them. Now part of what we're, you're going to have to see here is that Jesus was speaking in hyperbole. He's making an exaggerated point to make sure we get just how important... This relationship with him is. Okay? I'll put your mind at ease right now. When he says you must hate, this version does a good job of it. It says you must hate them in comparison to your, your relationship with him. Some of the older versions aren't that nice in the way it comes across. But that's, that's, the, that's the rub right there. When you put guy when you... Compare your relationship with God with anything else, the order that He created us to have, the priority list He wants us to have, the way we stack up our 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 lives. If we want it to go well, if we want it to be according to His plan, He needs to be the peer, the top. He needs to be top. Th- no exceptions. No exceptions. And just think of all the things that we use as exceptions. He went after some ones that, that we, can actually, we can actually fool ourselves into thinking that we're doing a good thing. And don't, don't, I want you to keep your ears open, okay? Because I know as we go through this, I, I, I'll say something and then the little voice will start going in your head and you'll be having a dialogue with yourself and I'll miss out on being able to lead you where I want to take you, okay? So don't, don't tune me out. But even with, we talked about this before with marriage, even with a spouse, you can't expect another person to complete you. You can't expect another person to to be everything for you. You can't expect that from your kids. You can't expect that from, from your parents. You can't expect that from any other relationship but the source of life. He alone is worthy of honor and praise. He alone deserves that position. And in fact, if, if you're struggling in relationships, I'd, I'd encourage you to take a look at where your priorities are. Because when we start getting those out of whack, when those people start becoming our gods, or the way we talk about it, they're idols when they start when they start taking too much pride, everything in our life starts falling away. Everything starts getting messed up. Now why would Jesus want to make this point? Why why is why is he trying to do this? Well, if you remember the very first part of the passage it said there was a bunch of there was a lot a large crowd following Jesus. Okay? He was building his own mega church. I mean, it, there was a momentum going in his ministry. There was people coming and they were excited and they were telling their friends and they were telling their friends and they were telling their friends and they, would, they just were there. Man, show us the next big thing. Run some more pigs off a cliff. Do, I mean, do something for us. Raise up another dead guy. We want to see it. They, they were excited. But Jesus wasn't interested in just having onlookers. Jesus wasn't interested in just having uh, spectators. We don't like that because we love spectator sports. That's—I uh, love what Nikki Gumbel says on Sunday afternoons. There, uh, there's a whole nation of people uh, watching eleven people who desperately need a rest. Uh, the people watching, the 11 people that desperately need a rest could desperately use some exercise. That's, I mean, that's, we love spectating. And, and, and Christianity is that way too. We love spectating. You know, how far, how, how deep do I need to get into this? And, and Jesus knew in these crowds, they were just in it for the entertainment. They were just in it for what they could get out of. It. They were just in it for the, they were in it because it was the talk of the, They weren't there for the right reason. Jesus wanted to understand there. If you want to follow me, I have a mission. I have a mission. I have something very specific in mind. It's been in the plan since before creation. If you're going to be, if you're going to connect yourself with me, I don't want you to mistake it. I don't don't want you to water it down. I want you to count the cost, just like the person building the house or the or the the king going to war. Don't just rush into this without thinking about it, because don't fool yourself. Christianity costs. It costs. Now God's love is free. He gives it to us freely. We don't earn it. We can never earn it. But the reason he can give that to us is because it cost him dearly. And he could have, in, in counting out the costs and, and seeing what it, what it was going to take to win back this people that he created and gave everything he wanted, what it was going to take to get them back, he could have said, you know what? I'm not willing to go that far sure i'll speak through some prophets I'll, I'll i'll try doing some miracles i'll give them some awesome sunrises i'll split the red sea i'll do but i am not going to go down there and allow them to kill me he could have drawn a line but when it came to how far god was willing to go for us there was no limit there was no limit God went beyond anything anyone could have imagined. In fact, still today, one of the number one uh, things people have against Christianity, a lot of the other religions, they can't get their head around it. This is a sticking point for them. The fact that creator would become creation. The fact that, that the eternal would become finite. The fact that immortal would become mortal. It doesn't happen. In fact, they consider it blasphemy to even think that. But when God wanted to prove how much he loved us, when he counted the cost, when he saw out the plan, when he wrote out our redemption, which wasn't something that came after everything else failed that. No, this plan was in place before creation. When he... When he counted the cost, he said, you know what? I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. And I just want to share with you quickly a reminder of what it takes, what it took. Jesus, the, the one, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in human form, God with flesh on who was there at the beginning in, in creation, who will be there in the end, the Alpha and the Omega, all powerful, almighty, nothing that could stand in his way, is able to do anything and everything, was, was willing to, to humble himself and come and walk among us. And that night, when he was arrested, they accused him of things he never did, they twisted the good into bad, they called him names. They shouted insults. They banning him from one court to the other. The people that he had come to save, the people that were his followers, the people that had gathered to wave the palm branches and say, oh, Jesus, we're so glad to have you in Jerusalem. You got to hear their voices chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And they strapped him to a post and whipped him and whipped him and whipped him and it wasn't just with pieces of metal and it tore into his flesh it ripped apart his skin they beat him they spit on him they mocked him the crown of thorns that, that wasn't to hurt him I'm sure it was painful but that was a mock oh you're the king of the Jews let us put the throne the crown on your head and so The savior, this teacher, this guy who'd never done anything except show love, this guy who had brought life out of death and sight from blindness and walking from lameness. They stripped him and made him parade down the middle of town, dragging his cross. And if you've never read anything about crucifixion, what you die from in crucifixion is suffocation from the pressure of being extended and having all the weight on your ribcage and it compresses your diaphragm and you're not able to get a breath. What you die from is, is suffocation. And to make the torture worse, they put some nails in his feet because when you couldn't get any more breath, if you could bear the pain enough, you could rise up on that nail and get... Another breath. And the whole time that he's hanging there, there's people laughing at him. There's people mocking at him. He's hanging there naked. His friends have deserted him. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Just think back through your Bible history. Think back through your history. Do you have that kind of commitment to him? I know I don't. I know when I compare what he did for me with what I do for him, it's sadly lacking. The thing is, he knew that it would be lacking, and still, he did it. Because with true love, there are no limits what you're willing to do to show love. There are no limits to how far you'll go. You know what he says that we're supposed to do in return? Is we're supposed to live that out in our own life, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. That we need to deny ourselves, to humble ourselves, to be willing to not get all the attention, to be willing to not always get our own way. Deny ourselves. Give up, give up the things that... Give up our way of thinking. Give up. Give up. <laughs> Surrender. Submit. Deny yourself. He says, you can't be my, you can't be my follower without submission. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Now, this is part we don't talk about very much. If you're going to be a good Christian, it costs you. There's going to be times where it's a blessing for you. There's going to be times where you get a joy out of it. There's going to be times when you get a jolt. But if, you're coming, if you want to be a Christian because it's going to make you happy, you're in the wrong religion, man. Because... The good Christians I read about, the good Christians I know, the good Christians I admire, they don't have the kind of lives that you hope for. The greatest example is right here. But even though their lives didn't go what we would think is they had something that you can't get anywhere else, they had joy. They had purpose. They had mission. They had a connection with the Creator that changes everything. As we reflect on the cross, what I want you to do is just consider how far are you willing to, to go? How, how far, how, how much are you willing to let God in? How, how wide are you willing to swing the door? If you want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Just going to take a time of reflection. Jesse and John are going to come up and sing a song for us. Uh, but it, it, just use this as a time of reflection on, uh, on what God's love means for us. what he asked from us, is for us to share the same kind of love he shared with us, with others. That's, that's the requirement. When asked, how, how, how far is God willing to go to prove he loves us? That far. Cost him everything. That's how far he was willing to go. How far are you willing to go to say thanks? We're going to close our... Uh, our service with a with a hymn. Uh, why don't you stand with us and let's uh, let's sing together.